Tonight, it's Friday Night Prophecy here on Fig Tree Watchers as I'm joined by my co-host and partner, Ayo, from Amitsu Study. That's going to be next, so stay tuned. Welcome, everyone, to another Friday Night Prophecy here on Fig Tree Watchers. We want to thank you for joining us. It's always great to have you. Uh, We hope that you are doing fantastic this beautiful uh, Friday evening. Yes, it's beautiful because this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, so tonight we have a lot to discuss. Uh, so invite your friends and family, uh, your aunts, your uncles, um, and uh, let them know that uh, it's time for Fig Tree Watchers presentation of Friday Night Prophecy. Hey, as always, we want to invite you to uh, look afterwards at the podcast and you can watch this replay here on Instagram. And we encourage you to like it, share it, um, but also, more importantly, we would love it if you you know would send a kind review uh, on, on and encourage others to watch it. Uh, that always helps us out. So please like the podcast. Um, share the podcasts and uh, write a great review for us if you wouldn't mind. Anyways, I see my partner Io is here and uh, we will be going live shortly uh, with him. There he is. What a great thing. There, there he is coming on. How are you hey, doing? Hey, everyone. Doing good. How about yourself? I am doing great. Uh, it is so good to see you again. How was your week? It was good. Very busy at work. I know that you can attest to that as well. I mean, we often uh, call each other during the week, and we're both very busy. Um, so just rounding off with a big project at work, and, you know, I'm on call for some hours and things like that, working into the evening tonight as well, 9, 10 p.m. as well. And I know you work late hours as well. Um, but, you know, again, as I usually say whenever I talk about work, I'm, I'm still grateful they even have a job to begin with. So I'm still thankful for the Lord for that. Amen. So all, all good Amen. Yeah. And and this is this is actually one of my busiest times of year for for myself at both work and and at home. Um, this is the seedling time for your garden. So yeah. if you're uh, if you have a garden, you're planting your seedlings, you're getting them ready to um uh, to get into the ground you know for for the main garden so you're you're putting all your seeds into the little planters and, and getting them ready for that um and then our frost date ends here on february the 10th can you believe that oh that's february amazing. 10th of this year it's the earliest i can ever remember it yeah, so but uh, yes so uh um i'm rushing like a madman you know um when I'm home, I'm, you know, doing things. I'm getting up earlier to, to get things on the ground and, and everything. So it's pretty interesting. Um, Our garden right now is probably a good eight inches below the snow. <laughs> and our frost date, like, I mean, sometimes probably our last frost might be like, you know, late April, but sometimes easily Minnesota, early May. Yeah. So we still have a ways to go. Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got all my sal- lettuce growing. I've got carrots growing. I've got oh. the potatoes out. I mean, everything's growing, um, and uh, the strawberries are actually starting to produce. So okay. it's uh, I love this time of year because it's just the right weather for me to work hard in California before they yeah. 
heat storm comes. So it's it's one of those things. Oh, that's great. Hey, I am. Um, we got a lot to talk about, but why don't you do the important thing? Just lead us in prayer before we get started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Father, Lord, we thank you again. We come together again, Lord, with uh, various brothers and sisters around the world to just glorify you, to lift up your name, Lord, to dig into Bible prophecy and, and what your word says about these last days and to encourage one another with the soon return of our Lord. Uh, we first thank you, Lord, for just getting us through another week, Lord. We have a lot going on. Some of us just busy schedules with work or family, kids. Uh, church, school, whatever it may be, Lord, we just thank you for those things. And we pray that even in the midst of the business, Lord, maybe just, may you help us just focus on you to, to have some time set apart, Lord, to just spend time in your word, spend time in prayer, to spend time with our families. Um, so we just thank you for those important things in our life. But we also ask for a reminder to make sure we breathe and we relax and we meditate on what you bless us with and meditate on your word as well, Lord. I just pray for tonight. May you guide Brother Stefan and I. Um, to properly uh, talk about your word, to have fun with the uh, uh, topics we're going to talk about tonight. Lord, there's a lot to get to, and we just thank you for it all. Um, we just pray that ultimately it's encouraging to believers and that we use this as well to point uh, non-believers to the gospel, to point them to Christ and the hope they can have in him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to Friday Night Prophecy. It's so good to have you here. Um, Hey, I, you wanted to bring something up real quickly about, um, you know, sharing the podcast and everything else, and then I thought we could get started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you basically said everything I wanted to say. Uh, something else I wanted to mention to everyone, too, is that uh, we'd love your feedback in terms of, like, questions that you have for us or topics you'd like us to touch on. I know that earlier today on Fixed Watchers, our um, Instagram um, account on Instagram, um, we posted on there that, hey, we were looking into doing some topics, getting more into like Bible studies. So give us some topics and some of you guys did that. So you just want to use this opportunity again as you listen in to encourage you that, hey, if you have a topic you'd like, like us to talk about, uh, like Judging Peter Christ or whatever it may be, concerned about prophecy, you know, DM us, send us an email, um, and we'll hopefully, Lord willing, touch on it in a future um, podcast episode. So, yeah, just wanted to bring that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, this last weekend was very exciting for those of you who are Christians who actually went to a movie theater and saw something that was not produced by Disney. Um, <laughs> if you went out, you probably saw the film, the Left Behind series, Rise of the Antichrist. Ironically, at the same time that the new Transformer movie is coming out called Rise of the Beasts. Jeez. I don't know if that's a giant coincidence or not, um, or a formulated, articulated coincidence. Uh, it, something that is actually a conspiracy, right? But um, we saw the real rise of the Antichrist um, this weekend, both Io and I, this last one. Mm -hmm. I saw it on uh, the rare uh, movie date that I have had with my wife. Uh, we went there and saw that um, to support a Christian film. And uh, we saw it on Saturday, and I believe you saw it on Sunday? I saw it on Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday night, yeah. Okay. So there's still some on Tuesday. Yeah, see, I keep telling you, you know, Minnesota is not far, as far left as California is. They only allowed us to have it for like three days, you know? <laughs> so, um, and hey, unfortunately, we're, to, we're yeah. getting there, unfortunately. But that's, that's a different topic. But yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they allow Christian films to be shown more than three days in your state. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um. And uh, um, so, what did you think, Aya? 
what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, some of you guys who follow me on Inmitsu Study, you might already know some of my thoughts. I really broke it down into what I, what I thought they did well, and I'll, and I'll talk about that as well, what I thought they could have improved on, and overall, my, my thoughts on it. Uh, I thought it was, um, I mean, in terms of, of the book series, I mean, Brother Stefan and I, I believe we both have a background in the books. Uh, a few years back, I read the whole main series, the prequels, and the sequel, uh, which focused on the millennium, and I, and I loved it. I was like, I mean, I read through all, uh, I don't know, 16 books or so in probably like four or five months, just dev devoured it, right? I loved it. So I think in terms of like being truthful and staying truthful, uh, to the book uh they they did a pretty good job of that i mean it wasn't like it wasn't like a different totally different rendition of it or anything like that um i thought that in terms of theology you know basic pre-mill pre-trip theology if you're familiar with it the rapture before the tribulation um people getting left behind salvation the tribulation mark the beast saints christ all these things it was there it was there so nothing surprising uh we you know you didn't think they were heretics or anything like that and they did a good job of it on it um I think one point you wanted to touch on as well, and I, and I totally agree with you on this, is that they covered the, the gap, right, between the rapture and the tribulation. And I'll, I'll hand it off to you here quick. And I think that's so important. We'll get into that. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians, maybe who aren't as uh, familiar about prophecy, which is fine. You know, we're all in different stages and we learn. Um, a lot of people kind of think that, okay, as soon as the rapture happens, then the tribulation starts. And that's not what happens. So I think the book does a good job kind of showing that, that it's like, well, no, the rapture happens and there's a gap with the rise of the Antichrist and then he confirms the covenant and then the tribulation starts. The movie did the same thing. And I know you had some thoughts on that as well, brother. No, and, and I absolutely agree with you on that. A absolutely. Um, I thought that was fantastic because you saw this time period that's there. Now, there are a lot of Bible scholars um, that think that there's a 10-year gap in between the rapture and um, the start of the tribulation, um, one of the theories I hold to, I lean towards, I don't want to say absolutely it's this, um, because the Bible isn't clear on it, but I think it's 40 years because an unjust generation is 40 years. So I lean towards that. Um, I'm not adamant it could be 10, but there's definitely a gap. The Bible oh. very clearly outlines it. And here, here's one of the interesting things, right? Um that I that you and I really see very clearly in the scripture. Something has to initiate the seals, right? Now we know it's Jesus who opens up the seals, yeah. but what initiates or causes Jesus to open up the seals? Well, it's Revelation chapter four, right? And what happens in Revelation chapter four? We see the 24 elders brought up into heaven surrounding the throne. We see the lampstand lit in chapter four right it becomes lit um and so that's the spirit indwelled church that is removed uh from the earth so something has to initiate to cause jesus to open up those seals right and that's that's real important uh in there and it doesn't just go bam seal 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 right it's it, there's a time gap in there um for the seals to open one causes the other to open right yeah. um and in my my thinking in my view of scripture and and um it it's in fact i think you might disagree or you kind of see it or don't see it i don't i don't know where you stand on this but is um i think right around the fifth seal is where you start seeing 
the the saints being killed uh, across and i think that's where you you when you get to revelation 20 and it talks about these are the souls of those it's referencing the fifth seal there so there is a time i think and that's i think mid trib where the fifth seal is actually opened up so there is this gap and i love the fact that the movie showed that gap um i think it's real important to understand that there's a gap and that he's building he's coming into power he's understood who he is and he's taking power and he's going out conquering and conquering so the first seal is really the antichrist right yeah, exactly i agree with that yeah yeah so once again i mean we have a lot of answers out of scripture and as things in bible prophecy begin to come more in the light we're starting to see things and go oh that explains this that explains this mm-hmm. uh and i think that that's a, a real important thing to understand the other thing that that i liked about the movie was um i actually liked the covid references mm-hmm. in there you you're going to disagree with me on that <laughs> one i know um cuz we're all sick of covid but yeah. what i thought was interesting was there were some good lines in there one of my favorite lines uh in the movie uh was a reference that the reporter who's not a christian right he's a guy is at this time he's not a christian mm-hmm. um and he makes a reference to yeah you're going to need a vanishing vaccine for vanishing that vaccine. and it implies the stupidity of what we've all been through going yeah. hey, even he gets it right this non-christian mm-hmm. reporter gets it you thought it was too much i get it <laughs> yeah. i i got the humor of it i appreciated it mm-hmm. um maybe it's a generational thing there but um you maybe you're still shocked and off from the trauma and you know you're going through PTSD of covid but no <laughs> um you know it it i think one person's humor is 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 uh it was pretty good but i liked the movie a lot uh i was very glad it was pretty accurate i really appreciated kevin sorbo in this movie i thought he did a fantastic job in it uh i thought it was really really good um they had to tell and i i loved how they put the characters together and there were some surprises in the movie that that caught me off guard that I thought were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's funny you mentioned that. Before that though, one other thing I liked about the movie before I get into uh the second thing you mentioned was that I really enjoyed how even Kevin Sorbo at the end um it really showed that the movie acted as like a call to action kind of um because even at the end, you know, he kind of like summarized the whole thing like okay, we know this happening, we know the Bible is talking about the tribulation, he talks about like uh the prophecies that were fulfilled of Jesus Christ's first coming. Uh, so therefore because we know that those were fulfilled logically follows that this prophecy's concern is second coming be fulfilled right we've made that argument as well uh, when we talk about apologetics like how do we know the bible's true we use that argument as well and that was the argument he was using about prophecy and he was basically using about prophecy as a tool to call first of all believers into action right to say hey church wake up you know some of you guys who are in this movie theater right now you're surrounded by christians who are unfortunately asleep but the times we're living in so we'll try to wake them up try to use about prophecy to share the gospel to others um you know be about the you know father's business as we're waiting and then obviously use it too about prophecy as a tool to call people to repentance right to point people non-believers to Jesus Christ say that hey these things you watch in the movie although it's kind of you know from a fictional setting it comes from truth right which is the bible that although you're watching this movie it's going to happen one day and it's yeah. bad as you know as crazy as we could possibly try to depict it on on movies or in a book it will not compare to what the real thing is going to be right so use that to say hey 
this thing that's going to happen, you don't want to be left behind. And I liked how they kind of wrapped up the movie um, where they had the scene where they're in the, um, the plane and they threw out the, the flyers, uh, the pamphlets of the rapture and people were picking it up and they're like, well, what is this? What is this? And they kind of use that as a witnessing tool. And I love it because they, they said that, hey, now that we know what's going to happen. We can't keep silent. Like we have to share the gospel. We have to let other people know about what's going on. And I think that was like a really, really great way to end it because it's like, hey, Christians, you, me, who watch this movie, who know what's going on, well, what are you going to do? Are you, are you going to sit there and just kind of like call the day and not tell anybody what's going on? Or are you going to go out there, share your faith, warn people of what's to come? So I think the movie did a great job on that. You know, and, and as I was watching it, and I remember Kevin from being Hercules um, uh, when I was younger, watching the Hercules shows. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, here he was a, a playing a character, a pagan character, right? Yeah. Um, and now he's doing a scene in a movie where he's adamant now about his Christian faith. He's gone from, I think it's okay to play a pagan character um, to going, I need to, I need to tell people about Jesus. To me, that's the transformation I, that I think is incredible. I would love to interview that guy. Like that's one of the people I would like to bring on Fig Tree Watchers mm -hmm. and interview. Yeah. I really want to know, how did you go from Christian to pre-millennial in your, your view? Like what caused you to become pre-millennial? You know? Uh, I think that that's some of the questions I would like to ask him, especially someone in Hollywood. Like, oh, yeah. That's the last area I would expect anyone to have a pre-millennial view um, and deep understanding of scripture is Hollywood, right? Uh, you would expect them to all be a bunch of amillennialist, woke, you know, Christians. Yeah. And here's a guy who's completely bucked the system, mm -hmm. somehow uh, been completely completely transformed and renewed in his thinking as uh romans 12 1 and 2 tells us and i i think it was it was fantastic i absolutely think it was fantastic um what was your what was your dislike yeah dislike the first thing you know just to quickly get that away is what you mentioned which i know you know it's it's kind of like a lighter thing and i knew for me this would be just a personal thing i didn't think it was a huge thing it doesn't really distract from the movie um, but it was just what Brother Stefan said he really enjoyed, which is the jabs with, like, the COVID vaccine. And, you know, they also mentioned a lot of, like, conspiracy theories and this, like, poking fun of that. Personally, for me, I thought that was maybe a little too overdone. Um, that it kind of, like, distracted me a little bit from the movie. But that was just me. Again, Brother Stefan loved it. I'm sure a lot of different people laughed at it, loved it. Um, but I also saw what they were doing. I saw the purpose of that. I just thought it was a little bit too much, personally. It's the old person in here. I like it, you youngster. <laughs> yeah, you're just too old. Um, but the second thing I talked about, though, that a lot of people saw on my Instagram was um, the uh, uh, former governor, Mike Huckabee. He came after uh, Kevin Sorbo talked, and then he just, you know, essentially kind of did a little bit of what Kevin Sorbo did, which is just kind of call people, use about prophecy, say, hey, these are the times we're living in, kind of be watching, pay attention, and then call people to Christ. Um, the one thing I didn't like, though, about how he did it, which I thought could have been done differently, is that he focused more so on, like, um, the prayer. So he kind of, you know, encouraged people to, he said that, okay, he's going to pray this prayer, kind of encouraged people to repeat after him, and at the end said, you know, that God will hear it. And for me, I, I, I know what he's doing, I understand it, but I just think that it needs to be done carefully. And I know that's, like, a huge um, thing that's often talked about in modern evangelicalism, 
is kind of like the, the pray the prayer movement, right? Like, oh, walk this out, pray a prayer. And we have like millions of people who believe they're Christian because they prayed a prayer when they're like five. Um, so so as, as I see him kind of do that, I kind of think back to that. And again, I, I know, I can understand where his heart is. I know what he's doing. Um, but I feel like in that situation, it would just been better to just, just share the gospel plainly, right? I think uh, we, we all know here that it's not simply saying words in a prayer that saves someone. It's belief in Christ. And now I know that uh, some pastors do lead people in a prayer, but what they do is that before they start telling people to recite this prayer, they're careful to say that, hey, this prayer doesn't save you. This is only a tool to kind of help you guide you through this process. Um, what saves your belief in Christ's atonement work on the cross? And I think that's a better method to go about it. Um, um, although I, I, I still personally know that I just say, hey, believe in Jesus Christ, believe in us in atonement work, but still I believe that's a better method to go about it but that's not what he did so when i saw that i was like oof i, I think he could have done that better you know it's it's interesting because um i almost I, my first reaction is to say i i don't even want to hear the criticism of that mm -hmm. you know it, that's my first reaction it's a christian movie why do we have to criticize that right that's my first reaction but when i dig deeper in into it and i look at it and i go okay I see Io's point here, and all he's trying to do is say it's more than a magic prayer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm going to reinterpret this and, and kind of go with what you're saying, right? You're saying it's not a magic prayer. And you know what? I agree with you. You know, it's not important that you say, I believe in God. In fact, James um, talks about this and says, great, you believe in God. So do the demons, right? But they tremble. It's yeah. not about believing in God, it's about believing God, right? If you believe that Jesus is God, the statement that he is making, that he is the I am, and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved if you, can, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? And you'll never be put to shame. That's the gist of what Romans um, uh, 10 is saying, right? But here's the important part of it, okay? And, and this is what I think you're, you're trying to say is what Psalms 119 says, starting with 145, Psalms 119, 145. I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statues. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. So the first point is you have to cry out with your whole heart. It has to be wholehearted. The second thing is, you're making a deal with God. I'm going to keep your testimonies. I'm going to follow your statutes, and I'm going to keep your testimonies if you save me. You're making a commitment to die to yourself. You know, I bring this up in gardening all the time. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches, right? And how does a branch in, in a grapevine bear fruit? It has to die. That's right. On a grapevine, the grapes don't grow on the green vine, they grow on the dead on the dead branch. Okay, they grow on a dead branch, so the branch has to die to the vine. A Christian has to be dead in Christ, dead to the world, alive in Christ, in order to produce the fruit of Christ, in order to produce the grape. Right. So we have to do this wholeheartedly, right? And I think that's the important thing. Um, I cry for help. He says in verse 147, and I hope in your word. We have to hope and believe in the word of God. Uh, and I love that 149. It says, I hear 
uh, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Oh, Lord, revive me according to your justice. And that's the thing. God is just and merciful. We put our trust in him, but we put our trust in his loving kindness. And I think that's the important thing um, that we have to. I, I recommend if anyone goes back to Psalms 119, read from 145 almost to the end of the chapter. And you will see someone who is declaring not just words, a magic prayer, but an oath and a determination to keep that oath. And I think that's what the prayer of a, a person who is repentant at heart, who has a change of heart, is doing. They're repenting. They're having a change of heart. And they're saying, God, I'm giving everything to you. I mean, your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's kind of the essence of it, right? It's, it's um, a change of heart. It's the heart posture we have towards God. Um, of, you know, as we change from unbelief, literally, to belief, right? We're going from, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or I don't believe it down across from me to now we're saying that, wow, Jesus is the Son of God. He did die for me. God does exist. So now we have to truly believe it in our heart. Um, it's not just, you know, just the words we speak, but it's the heart posture. Are we believing in Jesus Christ or God's provision for us um, to have eternal life? That's right. the important thing there. And I think that's the distinction we're trying to make here. You know, just words, just saying words versus changing your heart, changing your mind, truly believing in um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And I think, you know, I, like I said, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a minute criticism. I, I get the intent of, you know, Pastor Huckabee, Governor Huckabee. Yeah. Um, he, you know, and, and, and I think the Lord is going to bless it overall. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it's going to lead people to Christ. I will say it was pretty cool going to the movie theater and being inside a, a theater where everyone there was like a Christian. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we all kind of like, hey, we're not alone. You know? <laughs> um, when you went, were there people in the theater? Yeah, uh, I think you uh, you actually called me, I think that Sunday or Saturday before that Tuesday. You said there was about like 20 people in the theater for you. But for us, there's probably like 30, 35 people. So, I mean, it wasn't like packed, obviously, but it was a sizable crowd, I'd say. Yeah, well, you're not as far gone as California is. I keep true, telling you that, true, right? True. So, so yeah, it was a good thing. That's yeah, awesome. True. Hey, I, I realize we're discussing this movie, but, you know, I think it's important, and we want to encourage you. We also wanted to take the time out because we felt like, hey, this is a great movie to go see. Um, the, the Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist is a great movie to go see. It's a Christian movie. It's family-oriented, and it talks about Bible prophecy. So why wouldn't we want to talk about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but getting back to what we do best here, I um, what do you have for us next? Yeah, <laughs> now time to get into, you know, current events from the past week. And a lot went on. Uh, we can't get into it all. Uh, after Before Brother Swan and I came on, I mean, we were talking about what we're going to talk about and how we're going to go through it. And then we both reached consensus. We're like, wow, we're not going to be able to get through everything <laughs> as usual, right? Um, so we're just going to start first with news concerning Middle East, concerning Israel. Um, news about this administration and their stance with Israel and kind of their views and how they kind of relate to Israel and some of the people there, uh, which is not surprising. Um, this is from Israel 365 News. Blinken stripped Israel nine bad moments. Um, so this article just kind of highlighted some, some of what they believe were bad moments from Blinken during the trip. Um, 
and we're going to get into why we're, we're talking about this a little bit. Um, so just a snippet, a quick snippet of the article. On Monday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken arrived in Israel for a three-day visit, becoming the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit Israel since Benjamin Netanyahu was re-elected as prime minister. Netanyahu welcomed Blinken warmly and described U.S. President Joe Biden as, quote, a true friend of Israel and, quote, a true champion of this alliance. However, in spite of this rhetoric, during those three days, Blinken made several marks showing the Biden administration's duplicious, duplicious policies concerned Israel, almost. I got tongue-tied there. <clears throat> now, they went through, they covered nine points as to, you know, they said nine bad moments. So I can't read through the whole nine points. We encourage you to go to our Telegram page or our website that has the Telegram feed. After this, we'll post the show notes and we'll have this article on there for you to look through. But I'll just list off just each of the points and then I'll, I'll give it to Brother Stefan to talk about his thoughts and then I'll talk about my thoughts as well. Uh, the first one was criticizing Netanyahu's judicial reforms. Uh, number two, meddling in Israel's internal affairs. Uh, number three, the Temple Mount, and how they spoke about it. Uh, number four, anti-Jewish status quo. Number five, inappropriate prayer. Number six, equating Palestinian casualties to Israeli. Number seven, writing a billion-dollar check for terrorism. That's what we talk about as well. That's one that is, is just really egregious. It's crazy that they give money, the administration gives money to the PA, Palestinian Authority, in, in their mind in hopes that somehow the Palestinian Authority will use that to better the lives of the Palestinian people, whereas the PA just used that money to, uh, to give families to martyrs, quote-unquote martyrs, to, to their sons and, and these people who go out and kill Israelis and, and maybe die in the act. Um, so they pay them for that. Um, so that's actually funding terrorism. That's what, unfortunately, we're doing and we have been doing. Uh, number eight, two-state solution, blaming Israel. We've talked about that at length as well. And why we shouldn't support that. We'll talk about it here again. And then number nine, praising the boss for counterterrorism. Um, and they kind of, they kind of um, say that's kind of like, well, hypocritical because they say quickly here, uh, they say Blinken praised the boss for quote, his consistent resolute stance against terrorism. Habas, but then they say Habas refused to condemn the recent Jerusalem attacks. He has consistently over the years expressed his commitment to pay for slay payments, terrorists and their families, based on carrying out terrorist attacks against Jews, which is what I just talked about. And again, which is unfortunately, you know, to the behest of uh, the um, U.S. administration is what we fund, whether we know so or want to believe so. Um, but yeah, but that's just a intro discussion on the issue. Um, what were your thoughts when you read this article? You know, I, I, it reminds me of a couple passages of scripture when I'm reading it. The first one is, um, going to Isaiah chapter 5 uh, and verse starting in verse 20. Uh, if you know Isaiah chapter 5, there are six woes in this chapter. And this is leading up to the destruction of Israel, the judgment of Israel. This has very similar picturesque idea that you get from Romans chapter 1 starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven for all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. Right? It's that same idea all the way to the end of the chapter, right? It's talking about why God's wrath is coming from heaven on the, on the people of the earth. So where Romans is really dealing with the entire world, here Isaiah chapter 5 is dealing with Israel's sin and wickedness and why they're about to be judged. And, and it's dealing with the judgment that, that comes upon them. 
But there are six woes that Isaiah gives. And one of them is interesting because it affects us today. Woe to those, and this is verse 20, so this is the fourth woe. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those, this is the fifth woe, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I think what really encompasses this article that you read is it is a contradiction to what is actually right. It's doing what's right in their own eyes, but not what's right in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. And throughout this article, as you're reading it, the criticisms coming are all about what's doing good or then praising what's bad. Praising what's bad, criticizing what's good, and just attacking what is God's, right? And it's these three things that you're doing. And what you're doing is you're, um, you're calling evil good and you're calling good evil. And this is what Blinken does. Or he's doing what he thinks is wise in his own eyes. He's, he's attacking what belongs to God throughout this article. There's one more passage I just want to share with you because I think it's a similar passage. But I want to give it to you from another standpoint. Um, and that's from First Thessalonians, right? We use First Thessalonians all the time. We talk about it from... Um, a standpoint of Bible prophecy, but here is this great verse um, when we're looking at it. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursues what is good both for yourselves and for all. And for all. So here, once again, this was not in the best interest of everyone, right? This was in the best interest of Blinken and his political beliefs and his political party, but it wasn't in the best interest of Israel. It wasn't even in the best interest of the United States. And it certainly wasn't in the best interest of the Palestinians uh, who are also being killed and massacred, right? And so it was very inappropriate. It attacked, uh, in one sense, uh, it was an inappropriate prayer it had a very anti-Jewish status quo. Uh, it was, uh, it, it promoted wealth to terrorism. Uh, and uh, it, it, it gave an unequal uh, assessment of the harm that was done both by the terrorists to Israel and by uh, the 13-year-old the who killed a couple of people and then was killed himself. It, it doesn't assess it properly. Mm -hmm. So there was no justice here. And so we go back to this first Thessalonian passage and it tells us see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all the Christian is always to pursue what is good both for ourselves and for everyone at every time that's true justice we put everyone into account not just for ourselves but for everyone and then I love verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So I think this is the behavior uh, in, in which we need to do. So um, uh, I, I look at this article, and I look at it, and I go, it's a contradiction. Um, 
what is right in God's eyes. And it's pursuing evil, and it's saying that good is evil and evil is good. And this is just a sign of where we are in these days and these times and why we will soon face the judgment of God, not just the six woes, but the whole world is coming with the seven seals of judgment on the whole earth. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think even more specifically we can get to, it's a sign where we are in relation to even Israel, right? And we know that in the last days, eventually the whole world will be against Israel. I believe that's Zechariah 12. I think that's in. Um, specifically the second, you know, close to Jesus Christ's second coming, the whole world would, would want to go against Jerusalem. And God says that hey, whoever wants to cut up Jerusalem, they themselves will be cut up. Um, so we just continue to see, you know, from the beginning of this administration, previous administrations too, it's not just this one. Um, we kind of see maybe like a back and forth. One administration is friendly towards Israel. And we saw that with the Trump administration. Well, where another administration might be um, less friendly in terms of Israel, not really complying with them, saying that, you know, some of their land isn't theirs and things like that. Um, so I saw the issues, number three, the Temple Mount. Number seven, writing a billion dollar check for terrorism. Number nine, praising the boss for counterterrorism. Um, my mind kind of went to Genesis 12, one and three, where we see um, the Lord calling Abraham, out of uh, where he came from, or the Chaldeans. Um, and he just promised them that, hey, this is where we kind of see the beginnings of the Abrahamic covenant, right? And he says something key there in verse three, which I'll, I'll read. Um, so starting from verse one, it says, now the Lord had said to Abraham, and again, this is Genesis 12, verse one to three. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now verse three, here's the key here. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, so it's a dangerous thing, right? It's a dangerous thing to be against what God is for. <laughs> so this is kind of why, you know, me and Bruce Vaughn and other Christians may kind of, you know, so for some people, maybe it's like a huge uproar. Maybe it's kind of like turning a small thing into a huge issue where it's like, who, who cares what Blinken said? Who cares if he said a prayer wrong? Who cares if he supports a two-stage solution? That shouldn't matter to us. Well, it should because if that's God's people and, and the Jews are God's people, he's brought them back to land and they fulfilled by prophecy. And we can talk about that, you know, time and time again. Um, but he has a plan for them. And he, if he has a plan to prosper them, and if, if we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as the scripture says, if we should hope for the Jews to be saved, and if we should be on the side of Israel, now that doesn't mean that everything they do politically or all their views we agree with. I mean, Jerusalem and I mean, Israel specifically is a very, like, for example, a gay-friendly nation, right? Like, we know that. Um, so that doesn't mean we support that. But as God's people, we, we support them overall as being God's selected people, as covenant people. Um, so when we see Blinken or any other um, person in any political administration, or even someone who isn't, you know, politically, has a political position or anything like that, if they're against Israel, uh, that's a red flag. That's a warning. You have to be careful about that. And then uh, number eight, the two-state solution blaming Israel rather, uh, the, the point there was number eight. The title is Two-State Solution. Yeah, Two-State Solution, Blaming Israel. Uh, so that one was generally just kind of what we've already known, just further support, again, reiteration of the support of the Two-State Solution. Um, that's something that, that we're staunchly against uh, for reasons that Joel 3, uh, verses 1 to 3, states clearly. Um, what this is, I'll read it quick. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
And I'll enter the judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They also divided up my land. So that's the key there. Then verse 3 says, They have cast lots for my people, given a boy's payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. So what that's saying is that um, at Jesus' second coming, he's going to gather the nations, the Valley of Joseph, and he's going to judge them for what they did to his people, the Jews, during the tribulation. And part of that is that they've divided up his land. Mm -hmm. And now what we always say to this is, you know, we don't know if that means that that's referring to the two-state solution. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that the two-state solution is what Joe is speaking to. What we're saying is that there is a principle here where we see specifically that Jesus Christ is going to judge nations for uh, when he comes back. The principle is that, hey, there's a land division that happened. God doesn't like that. Obviously, he's going to judge nations for that. So the principle we extract out from that is, hey, when we vote for people, when we vote for who's going to be in power and who's going to represent us, our elected officials, if they go against this, if they believe that we should divide up God's land or that land that God has called Israel's isn't actually theirs, then we shouldn't support that. We should try to, you know, you know, pray for them to uh, rethink their ways or try to talk to them to rethink their ways or pray the Lord turns their hearts. Uh, but we shouldn't support that. And that's kind of what part of what this article is highlighting there when it says, you know, the headline again, Lincoln strips Israel, nine bad moments. Um, those are bad moments for Israel. It puts Israel in a bad light. It goes against Israel and their beliefs and, and their rights to their land and their safety and their peace and their prosperity. And those are things we shouldn't support. So we just wanted to bring that to your attention in terms of what's going on in terms of uh, geopolitical um, news. If you're just joining us, it's Friday Night Prophecy here. Um, and uh, we're discussing the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. Uh, we are examining... Uh, an article from Israeli 365 um, in which he talked about uh, eight, nine mistakes that uh, um, Blinken has had with Israel and how actually scripture has addressed these different issues um, out there. So we've, we've yeah. talked about it in, 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 in depth utilizing the scripture um, as we should. So thanks for, for joining us. What is the next article you have for us? Ayo? Yeah, another one here is pretty interesting. So this is about the Temple Mount. This is from Jewish News Syndicate. Uh, activists calls to end discrimination against Jews on Temple Mount. I want you guys to note that word, discrimination. Now let's read a piece of this. And it's a, it's a lengthy interview, so I'm not going to go through this whole thing. And we encourage you to look at our show notes on our Telegram. And I think someone asked us uh, earlier, what's our Telegram? It's literally Fig Tree Watchers. So you go to Telegram and type in Fig Tree Watchers, and you should find us there. Again, if you go to our website, we have a Telegram feed. You can click on there, and it'll take you there. Or you can DM us after this. And we'll send you the link, but it'll be there. Um, so the article, just a bit of it says, Tom Nisani is the executive director of Bayad Denu, returned to Temple Mount, an organization that focuses on promoting Jewish presence at the Holy Site in Jerusalem and educating the Israeli public on the issue. He served for 10 years in Unit 8200, IDF Military Intelligence and Central Collection Unit, and this man, Tom Nisani, who's the executive director, director of this organization, um, he sat together with Janice, Jewish News Syndicate, to do this interview, which I'm going to kind of talk about a few questions and his responses. And why I'm bringing, why we wanted to bring this article uh, to light, again, is to kind of emphasize, again, what we've been emphasizing for over a year now, uh, that kind of the thought behind the Temple Mount and the support of it, that Jews are now gathering more so in support of it in a broader sense, is that this shift, there's a shift there. So it's going, it's becoming less of a religious issue, more of a 
discrimination issue, right? That's why I said, note the headline. Activist calls to end discrimination against Jews on Telmaus. So you're just going to start hearing words like, this is discrimination against the Jewish people. How can Muslims pray on, on the Telmaus, but we can't pray on there in our own land? That's discrimination. They'll start, you know, we've been saying that. They're starting to say, this is a human rights issue. Yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, so for those joining who don't understand this, yeah. The Bible prophecy that we we're referring to right now is that there's going to be a third temple built, okay, in the land, and then the Antichrist is going to come into it, and it's going to, he's going to do what's called the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation. So in order for this third temple, there has to be a movement for the Jews to want to build a third temple. Yeah. Well, for the last 40 years of, of Israel, nobody's wanted to build a temple right? You've had the Temple Institute, which is a small group of individuals gathering stuff for the temple. But now you're getting a huge group of people in Israel, the religious Jews, the atheist Jews, the gay Jews, uh, even, who are now wanting their temple. They're wanting their temple. And now they're talking about this discrimination as a form to say, wait a moment, we should be on the Temple Mount we should be worshiping right yeah. and um this is a this is a big deal guys this is leading to the formation of the building of the third temple and so anyone who says that bible prophecy is irrelevant today i'm sorry this is one of the biggest pieces because this is something that's only happened in the last few years since basically 2017 almost every couple of months we're seeing another huge push uh, since 2017, since you and I have been doing these mm. these broadcasts, in fact, over the last three years, whatever we saw in 17 was just a blip on the radar. What we've been seeing in the last three years has been tremendous. It's been yeah. gigantic uh, leaps forward in getting the temple rebuilt. Yeah. So I want to I want to bring that up to everyone so they understand why this discrimination screaming that's now happening that hasn't happened in Israel's history is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that uh, context. So one of the um, questions Janice asked this man again, Tom Misani, the executive director of Bayadenu. The first one was, it's interesting that you mentioned that you're not re really religious. So this man, who's the executive director of a, a movement, an organization within Israel to promote Jewish presence on the Temple Mount, he's not religious. So he's not, he, and he says it himself in his response. But the question is, it's interesting that you mentioned that you're not really religious because most people associate the Temple Mount with the religious issues. So that's kind of what, so they're kind of keying into what I just said, right? There's this shift here right now where it's like, okay, yeah, sure, the Temple Mount, sure, it's tied to religion, but it's not just that. There's more to it. It's discrimination. It's a human rights violation. There's more to it now. And now, now that it's not just a religious issue, now the atheist Jews can get into it, right? Because if you guys don't know, Israel, is largely secular. It's not largely Jew Judaism, right? Most people in Israel aren't Jews by religion. Of course, they're Jews by ethnicity, but they're not Jews by religion. They mostly are just secular. So it's a largely secular nation. So now that we have this movement of more Jews going to Temple Mount, it's not just seen as a religious issue now, but it's now a human rights issue and it's discrimination and it's racist. Now they can be like, wait a minute, I'm not a religious Jew, but I totally support you know the rights of Jews to pray on the Temple Mount. And like Brother Stefan is saying, what we, why we usually bring this news out is that even though they might not explicitly kind of correlate it to the Third Temple, we've already seen enough articles and we've come up here and, you know, talked about those articles 
how people are saying that, hey, we want more Jewish presence on Temple Mount because eventually that's going to lead to the Third Temple. So there's that connection there. Not every, I'm not saying every Jew sees that, but we've shared enough articles to show you that connection exists and it's, it's significant. So again, the question is, it's interesting that you mentioned that you're not really religious because most people associate the Temple Mount with a religious issue. You seem to view it as a Zionist issue. Why is that? And the answer is, today I don't really see it as exclusively a Zionist issue. And Zionism, guys, for those who don't know, is the belief that the Jews have a right to their land. So if you're a believer in Christ, if you believe that God gave them their land and promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their descent's land, you're a Zionist by definition. They try to make it sound like a bad thing, like, oh, you're a Zionist. Uh, but no, it's, it's a good thing. Just believe right. they have rights to land. Cool. I'm a Zionist. That's great. So he says, I don't really see it as exclusively a Zionist issue. I see it as a national and religious issue. I wasn't really raised religiously. I still don't wear any kippah. And I even drive my car on the Shabbat. But now I understand the connection. You cannot se separate the national and the religious in Israel at all, especially on the Temple Mount. In my eyes, it's both national and religious. So again, there's that duality right there. It's not just religious. Yeah, there's religious and that's there. We can't separate that. But it's also a national identity issue that they're seeing now. Um, they go together. I always say I will probably not be the rabbi who teaches the Jews how to enter the Temple Mount correctly and how exactly to practice the holidays when there will be a temple. You hear that? <laughs> yeah, let me just go back. I, I always say I will probably not be the rabbi who teaches the Jews how to enter the Temple Mount correctly and how exactly to practice the holidays when there will be a temple. It's funny because when I first read this article, Somehow I totally skipped that. But as I read this out to you guys, I was like, whoa, he just presupposed, he he's basically believes in his mind there's going to be a temple. And that's what he's saying, right? He's saying that I'm not going to be the rabbi to celebrate the holidays when there will be a temple. Not if, not maybe, not might, but when there will be. And he's not religious. So that's the connection we're trying to show you here, that Temple Mount kind of goes hand in hand in many cases with the third temple or belief that the third temple will be built. Still, I'm a proud Jew, and this is part of my identity, to be also a Zionist and nationalist and to be connected to my religion. And there, there's like uh, two other questions. We can touch on one other one. But before that, um, I'll just, uh, brother, do you have any other uh, thoughts on what I just read there? Before no, we... no I, I think this is fascinating. We told you we were going to run out of time today. Yeah. Um, and, and this is such a big deal because one of the things you're seeing here, okay, that I, that I want to bring up real quick for Bible prophecy reasons is you're seeing Israel increasing and you're seeing the church decreasing, right? You're literally seeing this across the world. You're seeing the Jewishness of, of Israel and, and the understanding of its identity with God raising up. The secular groups are shrinking in Israel. They are shrinking. But you're also seeing the church going away. And you're seeing getting ready for what the tribulation is really about it's about bringing israel back to god right and helping um it's about god fulfilling this promise of i'm not abandoning you i'm gonna make you my own again right i'm gonna bring you back to me and uh, i think this is a big deal uh, this is why paul says at the end of romans 11 all of israel will be saved there's going to be a religious Christian revival in which the Jew is going to say Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, the Bible even says they will call out and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Yeah. They're going to call it out in that Baba way. Shema Adonai, yeah. yeah. 
So we're seeing this. We're seeing this in our lifetime. This is so awesome. Look, if you're not a Christian, I, I, we have nine minutes left. If you're not a Christian, I get this is going over your head. And you're like, I don't get the big deal of this. But for, but for us who have been reading our Bibles and have been studying God's prophecy, especially in my lifetime, right? I never thought I would see the day that this article would be coming true in my lifetime. I never thought I would see some of the Bible prophecies that have come true, the archaeology discoveries that have come true in my lifetime, in which I could look at and go, my Bible is right. My God is real. Jesus was telling the truth, and there's no way you can disprove it to me anymore, right? No way. And for me, I I rejoice in that and I give thanks to the Lord because he saved me he opened my eyes he redeemed me and I look at his precepts with my whole heart and I say your word is true I'm quoting Psalms 119 mm-hmm. again your word is true and it is holy and for the Christian this is an exciting time not because the Antichrist is coming mm-hmm. it's an exciting time because we get to live in the generation that sees prophecy fulfilled and we know that God is holy. Yeah. We know that God is true. We know that God is victorious. We know that Jesus is coming back and we know we've won the war and soon we will dance on Satan's head as Romans 16 says, Jesus will crush Satan's head beneath our feet as we dance upon it. Right. And, uh, um, I, I, I love that. I just love it. I, I, I didn't want to steal your thunder. You got, no, no, you got eight minutes, fine. run away with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just quickly, you know, piggyback off what you said, we, we are truly living in amazing times and I've, I've talked about it as well on my, um, I meant to say on my, uh, accounts saying that, Hey, you know, uh, Christians, you know, not even decades before us, like hundreds of years before us in the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s. Uh, before Israel came back as a nation, right, uh, in the 1940s, they read their Bible. And these were believers who truly, you know, saw Bible prophecies, read the scriptures, and saw that, man, the Bible is saying that one day the Jews will be gathered back into their land. That's what scripture says. And you guys have to think about that because they lived in a time where the Jews weren't back in the land. They were scattered throughout the nations. They were still in the diaspora, or diaspora, sorry. Um, and they had no, they, when they saw Israel, they had no reason to believe with their eyes, but they could only have faith. And those were Christians hundreds of years ago. Again, the 1600s, 1700s, even, you know, over a thousand years ago, they had that belief that, you know, this is what God's word says, it's going to happen. And there's, and there's Christians who document this, you know, who had that belief saying that Christians of their time would mock them and say that, hey, you know, there's no way that's going to happen. The Jews have been scattered. That's it. How, you know, there's no way they're going to be regathered. And now we're living in this time past the regathering of the nation of the Jews, past them being in their land right in the 1940s. They're there. We can make our trips there. We can go to the Holy Land. We can walk where Jesus walked and, and see and, you know, really live out. Not really live out, but just kind of walk through the Bible kind of in color. People say, it, like, if you go to the land of Israel, you're now, you can only really see the Bible in color after that. And we have that privilege. And that's something that, Christians hundreds of years ago could only dream of, could only put their faith in, but we have sight to see that. And I, it just pains me sometimes as we believe, you know, as we talk about these things, we get 
together every Friday. And as we get excited, it just pains me to know that many Christians are asleep and people are asleep and they don't even know that they live in amazing times where Christians right. hundred years ago could only fathom. Now we just live in this time. We just kind of go on our day. We don't even notice. So a lot of us don't even know it's a thing. We just, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, that's why we do this as well. But anyways, I just wanted to quickly make that um, case. I'll get into this last question and this last statement, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. So this last question here was asked, finally, it seems to me that you've characterized the issue of the Temple Mount as a defining issue in terms of Israel's rebirth and as a microcosm of the Jewish longing for sovereignty. Do we have to achieve, now listen to this question, part, part of the question, do we have to achieve basic rights here in order for us to really put a stamp on our peoplehood? So now, again, this is, again, this is beyond just a religious issue, guys. It's not the Temple Mount issue and Jews praying on. There isn't just uh, for the Orthodox Christians with their crazy Orthodox beliefs, as some might believe. It's now for the politicians. It's now for the secular Jews. And now it's becoming a human rights issue. It's becoming a discrimination issue. It's becoming a racism issue. It's becoming a basic rights issue. And that's how they're framing this. Well, we, we were still longing for our sovereignty. When are we going to get our basic rights? And they're putting that all into the Temple Mount, which again, he, this guy that's being interviewed, uh, is tying that into the eventual building and existing of the Third Temple, right? His answer is, that is correct. We sing in our national anthem that we want to be in, and this isn't in Hebrew, so I'm going to try my best. Ham Shofshi Be'artsenu. I probably butchered that, but I try my best. And it just means a free nation in our land. We cannot say this while Jews who are going up to the Temple Mount the Israeli flag, we're singing the national anthem, we're getting arrested because we're afraid of King Abdullah or the U.S. government. We cannot really sing it because we're not free. We are still acting like someone is trying to kill us. Of course, they're trying to kill us. But now we have our own state and we are strong. We should not accept it anymore, of course. I think a big part of us being Jews in Israel is lost because we don't have the Temple Mount. The Western Wall was not a real sign of freedom or of Jews being really free and having prosperity. The Western Wall is a sign of us crying or trying to pray. It's almost the Temple Mount, but it's not the Temple Mount. It's like living near the land of Israel, not getting inside. This is like Moses, who saw the Promised Land and not managed to get inside. We are close, but we will not have peace. And we will not have the real Judaism without freeing the Temple Mount. That's how I see it. And it's like, whew, I read that, I'm like, wow, that's huge. And again, it just shows how people see this. And we've shown article after article, week after week, month after month. This is not just one guy saying this. It's person after person saying this, whether they're religious, whether they're not, you know, whether they care or not about the Temple Mount, about worship, they're saying a similar thing. And that's important. And it's important because like Brother Stefan says, God makes it clear there has to be a third temple rebuilt, standing the uh, tribulation midway through. Daniel 9, 27 speaks on that. He just speaks about that, you know, referring back to Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15, uh, Revelation 11, 1, 2 shows the temple uh, in the tribulation. Um, so that's just why that's important, guys. And it's important we keep our eyes on that. Um, and, and there's a lot more we could have talked about tonight, but that's about it. We have to wrap it up. Um, I'll just wrap it up with a verse because it's been a while. Titus 2.13, the reason why, one of the reasons why we share this news, uh, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we share all this news to point to Christ, point to the gospel. If you haven't yet, we, we strongly encourage you to believe on the Lord, trust in him, and you will not be put to shame. So we hope you guys have a great night, and we'll see you, Lord willing, next week. Good night, everyone. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. And listen to the replay on the podcast and, and uh, IG Live. Good night, everyone.